morning. This is Darrell Gunter, your host for leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. Well, my friends, today we are going to travel across the pond to my dear friend, Mr. Matt Mackay, who is the author-editor of the very exciting whiskey site called The Dramble. Matt, welcome to the program. Hi, Darrell. Thanks for having me on. I tell you. So how is the weather right now in the UK? Oh, it is scorching. It's looking like it's going to be hotter than 1976. It's, uh, it's crazy. Wow. I tell you, that is, that is something else. I was talking to a gentleman this morning, and he said he's out there watering his, uh, his garden uh, every day. So oh, that's a bit of a lost cause, you know. Oh boy! Wow. So Matt, before we jump into the the, the dramble, and I hope I'm saying it correctly, is it the drama? You are, the, yeah. Okay, the dramble. The dramble, yeah. The dramble. Um, could you share with our audience a little bit about your 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 background, education, and experience, and then we'll get into the dramble. Sure. So um, I was born in 1978. So uh, I'm approaching my 40th birthday in about two weeks' time. Um, I've spent 20 years working across public relations and corporate communications. Um, the first 10 years of that were in engineering and transport, and then the last 10 uh, I've been working in scholarly publishing, academic publishing, and uh, biomedical science. Um, so effectively that's what I've been doing with uh, my day job. And then the last few years uh, outside of work I've, I've been taking on uh, things related to whiskey. Yes, yes. So what is the Dramble and how did this all get started? Sure. So the Dramble is a whiskey website where we look at reviewing all types of whiskey from around the world. Um, Entry-level bottlings from well-known distilleries, um, high-end whiskey from the likes of uh, distilleries you might have heard of like Macallan, Japanese whiskey, American whiskey, Canadian, anything like that as well as providing commentary and opinion, uh, interviews on people working in the whiskey industry. So it's effectively trying to pull together uh, a lot of other disparate threads around the, the whiskey world. So we allow people to uh, link to their posts about uh, particular bottles or uh, join in on discussions. Uh, and, and indeed, on our Twitter account, we, we engage in various uh, Twitter tastings when we compare notes about particular whiskeys from around the world together live on Twitter. And, and this site was launched when? Uh, so the site was launched uh, at the beginning of last year. It, it effectively came about, um, I've run a, a whiskey society, effectively a club as it were, for the past five years. And uh, that's been quite successful and growing. And one of the members there, Danny, uh, is a web developer. And one day we got talking and he said, well, look, you know, I, I design websites for a living and you doing PR, you do a lot of writing for a living. Why don't we put our heads together and combine those two skills and uh, create a website? And effectively after, I don't know, three to four months of planning and looking what the site would look like and what we wanted to really do with it, uh, the Dramble was born. Um, so we've been running uh, nearly 18 months now. Um, we're doing quite well. We're getting uh, between 4,000 and 5,000 views uh, each month um, and starting to make a, a little bit of a name for ourselves as uh, people who like to talk about uh, whiskey as much as possible when we're not drinking it. Uh, well, of course. And uh, the Dramble, is it thedramble.com? Is, is, is that? Yeah, it's uh, www.thedramble.com. And on Twitter, we're at thedramble. 
Beautiful, beautiful. And if I understand correctly, this past, uh, what well, really, within the last month or two, you did a tour of uh, some of the whiskey distilleries in, in, yeah. in Scotland. Yes. Yes, that's fantastic. So every year I at least once take a group of people up to Scotland. Uh, we go to different parts. There's many different regions, all with different styles of whiskey. So uh, some of your listeners might have heard of Isla, uh, where you have the likes of Lafroy, Lagavulin, Beaumont, lots of smoky whiskies on that island. Um, and this year we went up to Speyside. Um, so that's effectively the region sort of uh, just southeast of um, Edinburgh. Uh, along the River Spey. It's the area in Scotland that has the most number of distilleries. Um, there really are sort of 40, 50, 60 all around this long river. So we spent uh, a week up there um, visiting as many distilleries as we could. Uh, it wasn't just all drinking. There was quite a lot of technical tours, learning about the production, learning about the, the staff working there, their lives, uh, the tradition. And also some of the modern and innovative stuff that's going on. There's some distilleries that are really quite new um, and haven't actually yet produced their first whiskey. Uh, but with the boom in the industry, uh, there's a lot of growth there. So visiting some of these new, slightly more high-tech uh, distilleries is, is, is really quite a different type of tact to visiting something that's been open for 200 years, say. Well, and I believe, if I remember correctly, that McAllen has a new distillery, but you weren't able to tour it, but you were able to see it from the outside? Uh... Yes, so we were staying in a very small uh, town called Craig Ellicky. Uh It's on one side of the Spey, on the hillside, and just as you looked across from where we were staying, you could see the new McAllen distillery. Um, it was nearly finished being built when we were there, but it hadn't actually opened yet, which was really sad because it would have been great to go check it out. Um, you only have to look online to see what an amazing build it is. Um, they've got an incredible number of stills. They've built the whole distillery into the, uh, the hillside. So effectively, all of the facility is covered with uh, grass and turf, and it's very much built in to, to form naturally part of the hillside it's an incredibly impressive uh, construction wow and now once they open up this new distillery what will happen to the old distillery uh that's a really good question uh they're not they're not producing whiskey there anymore they've already moved over to the new facility oh um oh. yeah they've only, they've just started in the last couple of months uh they assure everybody that the style will remain the same but of mm -hmm. course whiskey being whiskey we'll have to wait for 10, 12, 15, 18 years to, to assess the, uh, the new spirit that they're producing at their new distillery. Um, I don't know what they're going to do with the other one. Um, perhaps someone will buy it. Uh, perhaps they'll turn it into more warehousing. Um, certainly whiskey is, is growing so much that I can't imagine that it's just going to be left there to uh, become decrepit. Right. And, and why is that? What is the world's fascination with whiskey? Ah, that's a really good question. It's something I ask myself. Um, 15 years ago, whiskey was nowhere near as popular as it was now. It's always had a, a lot of fans and a lot of people have appreciated it in, in different forms, be that uh, with a mixer or on the rocks, uh, in a bar or at home. And I suspect that is partly due to just a global interest in class spirits. Um, you've seen the growth of gin probably in the US. 
Uh, likewise, uh, bourbon, rum, and whiskey is all have all followed. Um, but there is a sort of whiskey so people recognize but they can make a fast buck um, so where there's interest there, there's always people who are prepared to snaffle up a bottle and then try to sell it online or pass it off uh, at an auction house uh, to try to make a fast buck mm. now I, I'm, I'm, I'm very interested to learn more about how the Japanese have entered to this marketplace with quality whiskeys in such a short time or maybe they've been at it a long time and yeah, and, I, and I'm just a lot longer yeah I'm just a novice to it yes um, so yeah of all the, of all the categories of whiskey Japanese is probably the most coveted right now and that's really interesting because 15 years ago you'd have bottles of a distillery called Kuizawa uh, which is now pretty much the most desirable whiskey on the planet and the distillery is now closed but 15 years ago, these bottles were sitting on shelves gathering a dust, and, and no one was interested in them. Uh, those same bottles now are trading hands for tens of thousands of dollars. Um, and what's happened is really awareness. So the Japanese have been making whiskey, as, as it were, since the 1920s. Um, the inventor of it, a chap called uh, Takitsuru, effectively had brought whiskey back over from Scotland to Japan. He was studying in Scotland for a while, visited the distilleries, learned the processes, and uh, went over there and with a chap called uh, Torai, um, formed uh, the first ever uh, Japanese whiskey distillery in the 1920s called Yamazaki. And pretty much for 60, 70 years, Japan made whiskey almost unnoticed. No one in the Western world was really particularly fussed about it. And in the 1980s, the Japanese industry market took a, a big downturn, a, a combination of economic decline and also the younger generation not being very interested in a spirit, moving on to vodka or uh, beer or alcopops or other such things. So, so the industry was in a, a pretty terrible way towards the end of the last millennium. And that resulted in several quite famous distilleries closing down. Um, what happened at the turn of the new millennium was uh, there was a slight revival in the industry domestically. Uh, and that was caused by a campaign launched by Suntory to drink Japanese whiskey with soda water, which is known as a highball. And it was a really successful advertising and marketing campaign. And it revived the Japanese whiskey industry domestically enough, but it allowed those producers um, to not only keep going, but to actually start to expand their remit globally. And so what happened was there were several bottles that started to be entered into international awards, which were previously the purview of um, definitely Scotch whiskey, um, but also American bourbon and rye. And these whiskies went to the awards, and they won big. Um, bottles like Yoichi, 20-year-old, uh, bottles from Yamazaki, Hakushu, um, they've all won major awards. Um, so effectively what happened was awareness was starting to rise. And then in 2013, a chap called Jim Murray, who is, for better or worse, one of the planet's most preeminent whiskey reviewers, named the Yamazaki 2013 Sherry Cask 
as the greatest whiskey in the world. Uh, and effectively, that was the beginning of the end or the beginning of the beginning um, because interest just exploded. And people who had never even heard of Japanese whiskey were seeking it out, trying it, um, searching everywhere for a bottle. Uh, and so there's been an amazing success uh, from this internationalization, visibility, and uh, winning of awards on the international stage. Uh, but the result of that, where we find ourselves in 2018, is that the popularity is and desirability so high um, that all of the Japanese distilleries have run out of age stock. Uh, they've removed all of their 10, 12, 15, 18-year-old expressions uh, whilst they try to continue to rebuild that stock to, to create enough uh, mature whiskey that they can create these expressions for the future. So it's a funny time that Japanese whiskey has never been more popular, uh, but in a way, Japanese whiskey has never been more scarce. And, and unfortunately, that drives up the price, correct? It, absolutely. Uh, and you'll see bottles that uh, in the UK... For instance, Yamazaki 18, super lovely bottle, very desirable. Uh, I remember then when that cost 60 to 80 pounds, uh, you'll struggle to find that for under 300 now. Same oh. bottle of whiskey. Oh, my goodness. Um, it, 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 it just is the case of economics. Um, it's supply and demand. Demand's massive, supply is short. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here today with Mr. Matt Mackay, who's the author and editor and publisher of the Dramble, thedramble.com. It's anything and everything you want to know about your fine whiskeys. And so, Matt, every is it every Friday you host um, in your your garage that has been turned into uh, a whiskey's maven's haven uh, that you conduct this, or is it every other Friday? Uh, it's it's so in terms of the the bar, which yeah, I've converted my double garage into uh, pretty much a whiskey mecca. Um, we hold uh, organised tastings there once a month, uh, and then there are other activities for the club as well in terms of going out to whiskey bars, going to events, going to tastings, going to other people's clubs. But effectively, as I said earlier, that's the club is where this all stemmed for. Uh, I've been running it for a number of years. Uh, quite successfully, quite growing, and, and that's where the Dramble.com stemmed from, in effect, taking that knowledge that uh, A, I was learning, and B, I was sharing on a Friday night in the bar, and then putting it into words and, and trying to share that further with other people who are particularly interested in all things whiskey. Yes, and uh, how did you come up with the name of the Dramble? Does it have a particular meaning, uh, spe special? I don't actually remember how I came up with it. Um, effectively, it sort of stems from uh, the concept of a, a ramble. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that uh, term has meaning in the States. But it in, does, in the yes. Year, mm -hmm. It does, okay. So uh, it was almost like a, a ramble through whiskey, uh, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. therefore a, a shot of whiskey is called a dram. So you have uh, the Dramble. Very nice, very nice, very clever, very clever. <laughs> of all the years that we've talked about this, um, I, I, you know, I've been to ask that question. And and so, what is next for the Dramble? What is your aspirations uh, for the Dramble as you reach out and, and grow your audience? Sure. So, um, two things that we're looking at on the actual website. Um, if you look at it, we've got an awful num a number of reviews. Um, so we're looking to put a bit more structure into those so when people come looking for their particular favorite bottle or something a bit unique, they can really dig down and find it easily. 
when we first started and you had, I don't know, something like McAllen with only three reviews, it's quite easy to see if something's there or not. But by the time we get up to 40, 50, uh, we're really looking to put in that structure and that, that sort of usability for people. Um, but what we're also finding is that as we're reaching out, um, certainly some people in the industry are quite interested. So that resulted in me um, being part of the judging panel for the Scotch Whiskey Masters a couple of uh, months ago, which was a real honor. Um, so we're finding that uh, with the time that we're putting in, both uh, writing about whiskey, uh, meeting the people in the industry, talking to other enthusiasts, that uh, we're starting to become uh, a little bit influential uh, and, and a source that people would go to and, and would trust um, for fair information um, on, on, on the whiskey that they're looking to buy or potentially uh, think about. So uh, the two things we're really doing are growing the site and then uh, trying to get as much visibility and awareness as possible uh, all, all the time, um, sharing a dram and uh, hopefully having a laugh. Nice. And so in the site, it, there's no expense to folks to, uh, to visit None. the site to get information. No. Wow. And um, do you happen to have special guests at your events in your whiskey uh, mecca garage? Yes, indeed. Um, so we try to mix it up effectively. So in order for people to really explore whiskey, it's important to be open-minded and diverse with your tastes as much as possible. I mean, some people don't like peat and there's nothing you can really do about that. Um, but what we try to do with the format of the, the meetings that we have is mix it up. So uh, we'll have events where there's a theme. Um, it could be based on price or style or region. And then attendees will come along and they'll bring a bottle that fulfills that category that style or, or the particular theme of the night. And then we'll try them all blind. Um, all of the tastings that we conduct are blind. So uh, we stick all the bottles in the bag. Uh, only I know what they are. And then people taste them, write notes, discuss them, uh, say whether they like them, describe the flavors. Uh, and then we reveal what it is. And that's a much better way, as far as I'm concerned, for appreciating whiskey. Because then you go into it thinking about the, the structure of the liquid and the flavors and the, the feelings it evokes rather than whether it's a pretty box or a brand that you know. Uh, so I definitely recommend that to anyone looking to explore uh, whiskey in a sort of club environment. Uh, when we're not doing that, we then get quite a variety of brand ambassadors from uh, both the distilleries, but also independent bottlers. So companies who buy uh, whis whiskey uh, and other spirits from the distilleries and then bottle it under their own brands and sell it uh, effectively as a distillery would but 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 using different outlets uh, you can often find that independent bottlers will have some really interesting things uh, and they're certainly quite competitive on price in today's market so we'll get a variety of brand ambassadors both from distilleries and from these independent bottlers to come along to the whiskey club um, we don't taste and blind them because they want to tell everybody about their, their expressions and why they've made them that way. Um, but it's a really good opportunity for club members, particularly those who are a bit newer to whiskey, to really hear it from the horse's mouth and to understand why a distiller has made a product in a particular way, why they've marketed it in such a way, um, perhaps why it's priced in such a different way, although that's always a thorny question about most things. Um, but yeah, so we, so we mix up the club with lots of different types of events, 
Uh, and then twice a year, my, my wife runs the, the gin side of things where we do exactly the same, uh, but with gin tasting. So either bringing a bottle of gin and then exploring that or having a brand ambassador along from a gin producer who will do the same as the whiskey and, and talk about the product and uh, why they think their product is fantastic. Wow, that's awesome. Have you ever considered to, uh, to do a podcast or live video stream of your, 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 your events that you have? Because they sound very educational. I, I, I think that every time that uh, you and I uh, sit down to talk, I learn something new about uh, whiskey. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, so, so they certainly are educational. Um, we, we, we take the format of the evening uh, in two halves, effectively. So uh, the first half of the evening will be uh, very focused on the tasting, uh, very educational. And then once that's over, uh, people will just relax with a dram and have a chat and catch up on people that they haven't seen since the last club meeting. Um, but we do try to make sure that uh, all the tastings are very structured. So particularly people who are uh, new or are exploring a different style of whiskey, be that uh, bourbon or Japan, although that's becoming hard to, for me to afford, um, <laughs> that, that we have that structure there that, that, that they too. Uh, as you found, can, can have an interesting, enjoyable evening, but actually come away with something they've learned. Um, it's quite an interesting question about whether I, I feel like I, I should do any uh, podcasts or video work. Um, there's actually quite a number of people doing that in, in, in the market already. Um, so in the one sense, I wouldn't want to encroach on, on what other people are doing really well. And on the other hand, it's it's always finding the time for these things, right? So it, it takes quite a lot of my time maintaining uh, the Dramble.com. Uh, I post on the site uh, five days a week, every morning. There's something new on there, um, either a review, an opinion piece. Um, so to try to do that and do some video or podcast work, uh, yeah, I think that my wife's giving me a funny look. So uh, it's, it's probably probably a bit too much whiskey at that at that point so uh, we'll, we'll, we'll stick we'll stick to it on text i mean you've 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 got me on audio which is a, a rare occurrence <laughs> wonderful and um for, for for the person who is the novice um yeah. what what is whiskey how how what is the process to make a good scotch whiskey and and also if you could what's what's the difference between a regular whiskey and a blended whiskey Sure. So I'll, I'll, I'll deal with those both at the same time, effectively. Um, single malt whiskey is made from malted barley, which is fermented and then distilled at one distillery. I won't necessarily go into the processes of exactly what that means, but the fact that it's called a single malt means that the process takes place at one distillery. Uh, we'll come back to that. A blend has two types. So there might be a blended malt, and that's effectively when you take two or more single malts and you blend them together. So you create something brand new and unique using those expressions that might have been bottled as a single malt, but you've created them together to create something new. A blend, not a blended malt, just a blend, is when you take a single malt or several single malts, and then you, and then you blend them with grain whiskey. Uh, blended whiskey, so that malt whiskey with grain, is and has and will be, I'm sure, uh, the biggest selling category of whiskey on the planet. Uh, it, it literally is the product which uh, keeps the wheels turning. Uh, 
Um, so by that we're talking about things like uh, Johnny Walker Black, uh, Grants, Famous Grouse. Uh, you probably have a whole selection in America that are different, but blended malts are, are the things that uh, they, they might not set the world alight, but effectively all bars around the world have got a good selection of those because some people like to drink them neat, some people like them over ice, some people want to stick them in a cocktail. So they're really versatile beverages. Um, but going back to a single malt, effectively what you're doing is you're taking the malt, um, you're leaving it out across the floor, uh, keeping it moist, and you're allowing it to germinate, which is called malting. Uh, then you're taking it and you're grinding it up to form a grist. So a percentage of the, the husks um, and, and the innards, the sort of the flour and the sugar within that barley. And that, and, and that sort of percentage between husks and flour varies between the different distilleries and depending on what they want to get out. Uh, you're then going to stick that into a large tub called a mash tun. Um, it's effectively like a swimming pool full of porridge. Um, you're going to put really hot water into that several times and that's going to um, cook and blend all those malts together uh, into a wort. Uh, at that stage you're then going to put that liquid um, into a fermenter and add yeast and then Effectively, after a few days or nearly a week, you've, you've, made, you've made a strong beer. That process is not too different to the process of making beer. It's the next stage that defines uh, the making of a spirit from the making of a beer. And that's when you put it into a still. In the case of Scotland, um, I'm going to say that there's two broad types. You've effectively got a, a copper pot still, a really sort of famous shape that... Uh, uh, a lot of the people who have seen whiskey will recognize. Uh, you'd put malt whiskey through that. Uh, or a column still, which is like a really large steel chimney. Uh, and that you'd put grain whiskey to. Uh, and there are reasons why you'd uh, use the two different types of equipment. But uh, we probably don't have time to go into, to go into. But effectively what you're doing uh, with distillation is you're putting that, uh, that, that beer under a, a lot of heat and you're allowing those... Uh, alcohol vapors to evaporate up the arm of the uh, pot still uh, and then at some point it will condense uh, back down and as it does that um, the alcohol percentage because you have uh, evaporated that off increases um, so you would do that in terms of most scotch whiskey twice uh, you'd put it through um, a wash still to get your initial alcohol, which might be, I don't know, 25-30% ABV, uh, which is 50 to 70 proof. Uh, you'd then do the process again for a spirit still to refine that spirit further and to take it up to uh, that strength that you're looking for, which at a, a minimum in the UK is 40, 40 ABV, so 80 proof. Uh, but in some cases, you're going to be taking it a lot higher because then you're going to put it into a barrel to mature it. The spirit is going to interact with the oak. It's going to extract all of that flavor from that wood. Maybe it's a, a barrel that's uh, used to hold bourbon. Maybe it's a barrel that used to hold sherry, so it will take some sweetness notes. But it will extract all that flavor, and at the same time, that spirit will also mature and age. It will relax. It will calm down from its state that it was in the... Uh, the still, which is highly agitated and hot. Uh, and then that stage of maturation, sticking it in a barrel and then leaving it in a warehouse in Scotland, it's a, it's a minimum of three years before you can call it Scotch whiskey. Uh, but as you well know, some of these bottle, uh, some of these 
casks rather are left for uh, much longer, you know, 40, 50, in some cases 60 years. Um, yeah. That is awesome. That is awesome. What an education. What an education. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here with Mr. Matt Mackay, who's the editor, publisher, and founder of the, the Dramble. You can find more information about the Dramble on the Dramble.com. Matt, I want to thank you for coming on the program, and uh, promise me you'll come back on the program to tell us about what's what's going to new and improve about the Dramble in the near future. Oh, sure. No, thank you so much for having me, Darrell. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you once again about my favorite topic. Uh, I hope your listeners have found it interested and will uh, consider visiting uh, the Dramble.com for all of their whiskey information. And yeah, uh, I'd love to come back in the future and talk to you about what we're doing on the site and. Uh, where the world of whiskey has developed since we last spoke about it. You know, I'm thinking that maybe uh, during the time in Frankfurt, Germany coming up, that we could do a, a live uh, Periscope recording, if you will. This way... Oh, I, we could I, do that. I we could even talk about some German whiskey. There we go. There we go. All right. Well, thanks so much, Matt. Ladies and gentlemen... Thank you, Darrell. Uh, that wraps it up for this week. Leadership with Darrell Gunter on WSOU 89.5 FM. As you know, we talk about serious topics, but from time to time we bring you some good information about the spirits and about food and entertainment. And that will wrap it up for this weekend. And remember, leadership begins with you. This is Darrell Gunter, your host of Leadership, WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net.